0: Continuing our series in the life of Joseph, we started with a young man, uh, 17 years old when we started talking about him, comes from an incredibly dysfunctional family. We talked about his dreams and how God kind of gave him some insight as to what God was going to do in his life. We talked about um, how he faced hardship and difficulty when uh, his brothers sold him into slavery We talked about the idea that your choices are what determine your future, not necessarily your circumstances. We looked at the idea that when he was in the pit, that God was not doing something to him. God was doing something for him. You're going to see that even more today. We talked about the idea of that trip that he would have made down to Egypt. We talked about the idea that when he got to Egypt, God honored and prospered him and prospered Potiphar in an incredible way. We talked last week about the idea that um, Potiphar's wife lies about him and, and, and misrepresents what happened. And because of that, he's thrown into prison. And that's where we're going to pick our story up this morning. Now, um, there is no way to shorten this. So we are actually going to read the entire chapter of Genesis chapter 40 this morning. So I'm going to read it fast. Uh, but uh, you got to have the whole story so we understand exactly what God wants for us this week. So here we go. Uh, Sometime later, Joseph's in prison now, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was angry with his two officials. The chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. That would have been Potiphar. In the same prison where Joseph was confined, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. And after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. So when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected, and he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and clusters ripened on the grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cups, and I put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to them. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, restore to you your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you did when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. Show me kindness. Mention to me Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrew, And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Now, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said, oh, me, 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 listen to my dream. I, too, had a dream. On the head were three baskets of bread, and the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaohs will lift your head off, and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Not what he was expecting, I'm sure. <laughs> now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, so that it, once again he put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. <clears throat> the chief cupbearer, however did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Um, As we talk about this story, um, there's a lot that's packed into this for us. Um, But let's make sure we've got a good understanding of it. Joseph was in prison. He's in prison because he was misrepresented. He was lied about. He does not deserve to be there, but he is there for doing all of the right things. And sometimes when you do right, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have good things happen. Sometimes when you do right, you end up, if you will, punished by this world standard for doing right. But in the end, you've honored God, and that's what's important. You always do right, no matter how it turns out. And that's the lesson that you see in Joseph. He's been falsely accused. But here's what's interesting. Notice his focus. He doesn't abandon God. He doesn't get angry at God. Instead, what this guy does in prison, in a pit, is he looks for opportunities to serve other people. He, instead of focusing on his circumstances... Instead, focuses on the opportunities that he has in front of him. Um, it's interesting because one of the things that would have been Joseph's job in Potiphar's house is he would have overseen the meals. Um, we're, we're told earlier that one of Joseph's that Joseph basically Potiphar didn't do anything in his house except eat. He left everything into Joseph's charge. So the way this would have worked is that Joseph would have been the guy who was always with Potiphar. So when they would bring in food, Joseph would be the one to inspect it first before it ever got to Potiphar. He may have tasted it, he may have not, but he would have been the one. If, if, if Potiphar is eating and Potiphar says, hey, I, I I need a Dr. Pepper with that, Joseph's the one standing off the side to make sure it happened. Joseph's the one who is there to make sure that everything the Potiphar wants is taken care of. When he finds himself in prison, he looks around and says, "What is there I can do?" He watches a guard take and put the put the soup or whatever else in bowls and take it to the prisoners, and he figures, "You know what? I can do that." So Joseph decides to go to the captain of the guard and say, "Hey, do you want me to help you?" Well, nobody did that. Everybody's focused on their own circumstances and their own world. Why would you want? And so all of a sudden, what you start to see in the life of Joseph is eventually the guy who's in charge of the prison lets Joseph run the thing. Now, I want you to understand, this doesn't mean Joseph's life's easy. He's still shackled. So he gets up in the morning, having slept with chains on his leg. His legs hurt. He gets up. He goes and starts helping serve food. And in the process of that, he actually pays attention to the people who are there. Listen, sometimes, in fact, I'm going to suggest most of the time, some of your greatest opportunities for service will come from some of the most difficult times in your life. And here Joseph is in a very, very difficult... Many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't, read it, okay? Do you understand that Pilgrim's Progress was written by John Bunyan in prison? Most of it was prison, that 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 thing was written? You, When you read your New Testament, do you understand there's a whole set of books in the New Testament that were written from prison when Paul couldn't do anything but write? And we are the benefits, we are the recipients of people who went through some very, very difficult times to give us things that we treasure today. And in this story, that's what you see in the life of Joseph. You see Joseph in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship, all of a sudden he's finding ways to serve other people. One of the things that you can't help but notice in the story is, how would most of us approach this thing? You've tried to do what's right. You've been lied about. Your family has disowned you. He basically sold you into slavery. How many of us would be sitting there angry at our circumstances and focused on why is this happening to me? This shouldn't happen to me. I'm trying to do what's right, and this is the way God rewards me? You don't see that with Joseph. How many times when we find difficult sin, what do we do? We withdraw, don't we? We want to curl up in a little ball, a little cocoon, and, and shelter ourselves from the world. Joseph had every right to do that. I mean, the, the guy's done nothing but good stuff, and yet he finds himself, no matter where he is, he finds himself in this prison again, in this pit again. It would have been very easy to withdraw, and that is a natural reaction. God instead wants you to engage. In fact, what you'll learn is in the kingdom of God, there are a lot of oxymorons in the kingdom of God. Something that looks, for instance, in God's kingdom, you want to go to the top, serve at the bottom. You want to be first, be last. In God's kingdom, do you want to really get, then give. You want, in times that you want to withdraw, engage. And what you see in the life of Joseph is rather than focus on his circumstances, rather than focus on everything that's happened to him, rather than focus on, woe is me, Joseph gets up every day and says, how can I serve God today? How can God use me today? My circumstances are limited. I'm in prison. But you know what? These guys got to be fed. What amazes me in this story is he develops relationships in prison with these prisoners to the point that when he is bringing them breakfast, uh, okay, so let me help you understand this a little bit. When people are in this this prison, in Potiphar's prison, if you will, let's just call it Potiphar's prison, the thing is we don't know what's going to happen to them. It's kind of a holding tank, if you will. Some of them are going to lose their life. They did something to make somebody mad, and the idea was, I'm going to throw you into this prison until I decide what to do with you. So they are probably taken care of to a degree because they might be restored, and if you let them get all emaciated, they're not going to be able to serve. So there's a level at which they weren't treated like the, the prisoners that were going to be executed. They were treated in such a way that if we restored you, it would be okay, so we don't want to hurt you too much. But on the other hand, we might kill you, so we don't want to spend too much money on you. So it was this conundrum kind of thing. So these guys are sitting there, and they have a bad dream. And again, we talked about this idea of dreams. It's a lot of times the way people um, thought the God spoke to them, and in particular, it's the way our God spoke before we have the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And so, so here they are in this prison. They have this bad dream, and Joseph is attentive enough that as he brings them breakfast, he notices something's wrong. This is a guy who's clearly not focused on his circumstances. And he says, what's up, guys? You're not your typical morning person. And say we we had a horrible dream last night. And nobody can tell us what it means. And Joseph, again, his attitude is, how can I honor my God? And he says, you know, dreams are from God. He's the only one that can interpret them. Tell me what you had. Tell me, tell me about your dream. And God gives Joseph the interpretation. And Joseph looks at the cupbearer and he says, well, here's the deal. He said, three days, you're going to be back at your old job. And the baker's sitting there going, hey, okay, so tell me mine. Now, think about this for a second. Joseph has to tell this guy he's going to die in three days. Why not lie? Why do I have to give the guy bad news? Let him enjoy his three days. You see, Joseph has a choice to make here. Does he speak the truth, even though the truth is hard and difficult to hear? Or does he focus on him and making it easy for him and lie? But the character of Joseph is such that Joseph speaks the truth in love, and he says, here's the interpretation, and that lays the groundwork for Joseph ultimately to end up as Pharaoh's right-hand man. So one of the things that you see in this story is you see all of these elements that we wrestle with every day in our worlds of how do you speak the truth in love. When the truth is very, very harsh, the Bible is very, very clear. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, spend eternity with him. Reject him, spend eternity in hell. That's the truth. That is harsh, but that's truth. Do we neglect telling people the truth because it's harsh? Or do we, like Joseph, stand up and speak truth? We all face it. Do we we serve God in our circumstances, in spite of our circumstances, or do we focus on our circumstances? So there's so many dynamics that, that that play out for us. So let's jump through some things for us this week. I'm going to boil it down to three. There's a lot in this story, but I'm going to boil it down to three. Here's three. Here's, here's the first one. Focus and perspective are everything. Your focus and your perspective on your circumstances is everything. Think of how it normally plays out in our world. Somebody hurts you. Somebody says something about you. Some situation at work doesn't go your way. Somebody um, stabs you in the back, and you feel abandoned. And you feel like, you know what, I didn't deserve that. Um, I'm trying to do what's right. So you decide that the way to protect yourself is to don't trust anybody else. So you put up these walls, and you don't let people get close. Because when people get close, you're going to get hurt. And then what happens is, you go that way for a while, and somebody comes along who starts to earn a little bit of your trust. So you take down that wall a little bit, and you let them in. And then they hurt you. And they betray you. And they disappoint you. And they don't meet up to your standard. So you go back to your default mechanism, and you realize, this time, I just need to build the walls higher. And I need to keep everybody out. And before you know it, you have built this prison that you live in now, where you won't let anybody in. You don't want to trust anybody. You become cynical about everything. When you hear something, you believe the worst rather than the best. And before you know it, you have walled yourself into this little prison thing because you are so focused on those people and that circumstance or that situation. And what you don't realize is you destroy yourself that way. Before you know it, you become the kind of person that you don't want to be around and nobody wants to be around. And your your your, your safety mechanism is... Stay away from people. I'm just going to block everybody out. I'm not going to trust anybody. Every time I watch something, every time I hear something, I'm going to be cynical or I'm going to be skeptical about it. And, and, and so the joy gets sucked right out of your life. And you look at it and you go, is this what life is? I mean, look, this is what Joseph could have done. He could have sat and had the world's biggest pity party in prison. And he would have been justified in doing it because no one should be treated like he's has been. I mean, right? But that's not Joseph's attitude. What Joseph does is he doesn't get mad. He doesn't quit. He doesn't run around defending himself. Oh, you know what Potiphar's wife did to me, and she, you know, she did this, and she did that, and she did... And you need to... He didn't go around trying to build himself up and tear a bunch of other people down. He just simply sits back and focuses on his situation, and he asks a very simple question. How can I serve and honor my God today? That's it. How can I serve and honor my God today? And he looks, and he realizes, that guy's feeding all of these people. I can help him. And every day, he starts to do that. Every day, he, and, and he gets to a point that the same thing the captain of the guard there does the same thing that Potiphar did. Basically, he says, I'm going to let you run it. You're doing an awesome job. These guys are looking healthy. These guys are doing well. And Joseph then starts to the point that he's sitting, sitting there and going, how can I serve God today? And he walks around, and as he's feeding these guys, he realizes, "You know, come on, guys, what's going on? Which means he had built a relationship with these people. To the point that they trusted him to be able to share with them the things that they were struggling in their life. And they look at him and go, We had these dreams and we just, we don't know. And Joseph said, Well, I can help you out here. Dreams belong to God. Now, I don't have time to flesh this all out for you, but here's what you need to understand. In this culture, gods were everything, and there was a God for everything. Joseph, when he served in Potiphar's house and later when he's going to serve in Pharaoh's court, you have to realize that even a trip to the river involved a stopping and sacrificing to the god of the Nile. You have to realize that at the meals, that, the, that in the palace, there would have been places where every morning Potter, Potiphar or Pharaoh would have gone up and gone to their, little, their own little private worship area. And they would have put up their little God and said a little prayer and offered a little thing and put up this little God and done that. And there was incense and there was all this stuff. And Joseph would have observed all of this. And so when Joseph said, you need to understand interpretations belong to God. Oh, yeah, everybody, we understand that. But Joseph's God was able to accurately reflect the dream. So Joseph looked at it as an opportunity to represent his God. And one of the ways that he can represent, by investing in their lives, by listening, by serving, by doing what he can. It's interesting because when you think about this from the perspective of the life of Joseph, God is preparing him for an incredible thing. And again, I don't want you to minimize it. We read these stories, and we don't put it together. But by the time Joseph gets to Pharaoh's court, he's 30 years old. When we start this journey in Israel, he's 17 So there is a 13-year process to get him to that point. And when it says that the uh, cupbearer forgot him, we're probably not talking weeks or months. We're probably talking years. Some people estimate anywhere between 2 and 10 years, depending on which commentator you read. Now, don't minimize it. In the beginning, at least, for sure and maybe the entire time. He would have had shackles about his ankles, metal shackles with a chain, that way he couldn't take off running. And he would have walked with those, bare metal, rubbing up against your skin all day long. He would have gone to sleep with shackles on his feet. It would have been very easy for him to get up that morning and look at his ankles and go, you know, this is going to be a really tough day. I'm just going to let that guard feed them today. He would get up, Again, think about this. If he stayed there, it didn't hurt as much. But every time he would go and and, and start taking them food and do this and do all this walking, he's got these things rubbing up and down on his ankles. Not for days, not for weeks, not for months, but maybe even for years. Why? Because it's an opportunity to serve his God. It's an opportunity to to serve God in spite of my circumstances. And Joseph doesn't focus on his circumstances. Your perspective and your focus is everything. And it's too easy in our world for us to start going, oh, this happened to me, woe was me, and you don't know how hard this is, and I can't do that, and, and how come this happened, and da-da-da. Stop. Ask yourself this simple question. What could you do today to serve and honor God? What can you do tomorrow when you walk into work? If you've got somebody at work struggling, will you even notice? Or are you too wrapped up in your world? And yet God puts an opportunity in front of you to be a blessing and an encouragement to somebody. When you are sitting there at work, and you're noticing something that somebody does. I'm, I was at the cattleman's Banquet last night, okay? There's one kid, his job last night was he carried around a bucket collecting cans. And every time he stopped by our table, I said, thanks, you know? I acknowledged his job. I agno- gave him some value. He was a can collector do you know what? It was an important job. Somebody needed to do it. It's an opportunity to not focus on me, but to focus on somebody else. Every time you go to the store, yes, I know you're busy. Yes, I know you want to get in and get out. I, I, I understand that. I get that. But there's an opportunity to say something if you even use a cashier anymore, you know. Now I'm thinking we ought to get off national holidays now for going to Walmart since we're bagging our own stuff and doing it all. But, I mean, you know, you're doing the self-checkout everywhere now. But you know what? You 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 could reach out and at least be an encouragement or a blessing to those people who are there. If you go to a restaurant, okay, first of all, be overly nice to those people who are serving you and bringing you your stuff and taking away the dishes and secondly tip big there's nothing about it I actually had a friend she's a waitress at one of the high-end restaurants in Omaha and and I mean this is when I say high-end restaurant I'm talking it's like fifty dollars and up a plate okay um, and it's it's a high-end deal they have a lot of high roller people that come into Omaha that go there. It's well known for that. And over the holidays, again, she's a Christian. She's a devout Christian, and, and, and she's trying to have a witness there. One of her co-workers showed her a guy had left a track, and I have no, I'm thrilled that the guy left a track. But he left a track, and he left a tip of like five bucks. And the guy showed it to her. And she was so mad that somebody would represent representing her Christ and her God would be such a cheapskate. She went and posted this story online. A bunch of her friends got together, started a GoFundMe thing, Hey. Ended up, I forget what the final total, was like $160 that Christian people pitched in and said, give this to him as a tip. So she finally she went to him and said, hey, I had a bunch of friends who were so upset with this because this doesn't represent our God right. So here, and he's like, no, 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 that's not why I showed you that. And he said, no, here. So he ended up then taking the money and giving it to another organization because he didn't feel like, That was, you know, he didn't want to do it for that reason. But I thought, that's the way it should work, is that we should represent our God well. And your focus and your perspective are everything with stuff like this. And I really want to challenge you, because that's what you see in the life of Joseph. Wherever he finds himself. If he's in the palace, he's serving God and others. If he's in the prison, he's serving God and others. He's not focused on his circumstances. Your focus and perspective are everything. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to jump, you know me, I'm going to jump on my little rabbit trail thing and I'm going to get off. What does it say to the world when as a Christian I go, TGIF, thank God it's Friday, my work week is over. I understand that's how you feel, just don't tell the world about it. Because a Christian, it should be, thank God I have another day to serve him. Not, oh, I'm glad the week's over so I can focus on me. And that's a a mindset. It's those little things that that chip away at at our Christianity. Every day you have is an opportunity to find somebody to serve or to represent your God. So acknowledge it. Do it. Second thing is this. God is with Joseph. God is actually preparing Joseph. I like what one commentator said. He said, He said, in Genesis chapter 38, you watch God prepare, I've got to get this right, emotionally. When his brothers go against him, it it works on his emotion. When he gets to Potiphar's house in Genesis chapter 39, God develops him physically. This soft guy who would show up in a fancy coat on a work day is now in the Potiphar's fields working, developing A tough, physical experience. When he gets to prison in chapter 40, God starts working on his soul. And I I like what the psalmist said, and and, and what one commentator said this way. He said, God puts iron in his soul. He learns that no matter what my circumstances, I'm going to serve my God. And he develops his passion and his foundation for God, like we talked about last week with the, the bouncy thing. And what I want to challenge you with is what happens is in our lives as God brings things and God allows things and God is testing things, we forget God is building something bigger. And in the life of Joseph, you see God preparing him emotionally. You see God preparing him physically. You see God preparing his soul because as he's going to end up second in charge of all of Egypt, if you don't think that's a tough job, If you don't think he's going to need a thick skin to physically be intimidating. And when his brothers meet him, by the way, they are intimidated by him physically. This isn't the the colored coat guy. This is the we're scared he's going to take our life guy. So physically, there's some things God develops Emotionally, spiritually, socially. God, God develops these things in his life. And you have to realize God is with him the whole time. Look when you're doing well and things are going great, God's with you. But you need not understand, when you're in a pit and you're disillusioned and life is overwhelming you, God's with you too. You've got to serve Him whatever situation you're in. The last thing is this. Not only is God with you, not only do you see focus and perspective for everything, but the last thing that you see is this. God does stuff in His time, not, not yours. From Israel a land of the Hebrews to Egypt, land of the Egyptians. Thirteen-year process. Most of it probably spent in prison. We you know at least, most conservative estimates go at least two years for sure. Um, listen, folks, if you want to throw in the towel, If you want a Bible example of somebody who I think has every right to throw in the towel, it's Joseph. That's the reason, by the way, most people, when they talk about Joseph, they really see him as a type of Christ, because there are so many things in the life of Joseph that parallel the life of Christ. And one of them that you see here is this idea that that no matter what his circumstances, probably one of the most powerful pamphlets I've ever read, I don't think it's in print anymore, but it's from the life of Joseph, it's called Your Reactions Are Showing. And it talks about the one thing that you see in the life of Joseph is this. Joseph doesn't react to life. Joseph acts. Because your reactions are those things when your guard is always down, when your guard gets down and you make a reaction. Your actions are something you've thought about and you consistently play out. And that's what you see in the life of Joseph. He always acts in a way that focuses on how can I serve and honor my God? And that's the key. That's one of the keys that you see. But Joseph had to be patient and let God do what God wanted to do when God wanted to do it. On God's side table, not true. I go back to the history of this church. You know, when we realized because of the flood project we were going to have to move. And we were trying to find new ground. God and I went round and round. Because he wasn't working fast enough. And... I knew what we were supposed to do, and he wasn't doing it. I knew exactly where we were supposed to build a new building. And we pursued it. We did everything we could, and it kept going, no, 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 no. And I kept going, this is the perfect location. Why? And God kept closing the door and closing the door and closing the door. And then God opened up the door for this spot. And, of course, again, my you know my time. like, that ain't going to work. Everybody's going to have to have a four-wheel drive. Because you got to remember, back you probably don't know it, but back then, this hill was as high as the top of our church. And it's like, the only way we're going to get people up there is if if everybody who comes to church has a four-wheel drive to make it up the hill. I thought, that's not going to work. And then it was like, well, we went to the county, and we said, hey, do you guys want the dirt? We don't want the dirt. Well, we knew what it was going to cost to have all that dirt removed. So we said okay, we'll just build on the top of the hill. And the county called us and said, hey, we'll take the dirt. We're like, just leave us a flat spot. God's timing, God's plan, God's purposes. I would love to tell you as a pastor, I did it all right in waiting patiently upon God. I ain't Joseph, okay? And I was as frustrated as anybody else. I look back now, I see God's fingerprints all over it. You look back on Joseph's journey to get where God has him, you see God's hand and fingerprints all over it. As simple as this, what would have happened if Joseph just fed them their meal that morning and wasn't paying attention at all to their, what they were going through? There's a three-day window here. That had Joseph missed it, we don't know how the story would have ended. But here's a guy who was walking with God to the point that he was able to discern how God wanted to use him instead of focusing on his circumstances, how he was mistreated, why he's there, why he shouldn't be there, why it should be better for him. Instead of focusing on all that, he got up every morning and said, How can I serve God? How can I be attentive to what God has in front of me? And he doesn't miss this three-day window. Here's my question to you. If you want to keep focusing on your life and your circumstances this week, what's going to get missed? What eternity thing could get missed? Because you're focused on you this week. That's the key to life of Joseph. Joseph. That's the key to the life of Joseph. He gets up and says, you know what? My circumstances, I'm not going to focus on. Now, again, when he gets a chance, what does he do? He goes, hey, by the way, when you're restored, don't forget me, okay? But the chapter ends with, he forgot Joseph. Again, stabbed in the back, put the walls down, trusted somebody. He gets, he gets slammed again. You know what he keeps doing? He keeps serving. He keeps serving. I end this morning with this idea. Joseph keeps a godly perspective through all of his circumstances. When tested by God, he focuses on service rather than circumstances. He trusts that God's timing is perfect, and he looks at each situation as a way to glorify and honor his God in a very pagan world. Let's do the same. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we get so focused on us that we forget that you have something much bigger in mind for each of us. Lord, we make our world all about us and our situation, our circumstances, and what we're going through, and we forget that, Lord, there's a world out there that desperately needs you. And we are the ones to share it with them. So, Lord, use us this week. Lord, we don't want to minimize what we're going through. But at the same time, Lord, we don't want to make it the major focus of our lives. So, Lord, this week, open our eyes. May we see people that we can serve. And, Lord, ultimately, may those people see Christ in us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, Let's stand together.